It's a blessing to be together in the presence of the Lord. This morning we are going to conclude our Lazarus sermon series. This is the third look at the story of Lazarus. It is the longest and most elaborate telling of all of the miracles in John's Gospel. And so we've been going through it piece by piece over the last few weeks. So today we reach the climactic third part of the telling of this story. And uh, it's a story that's meant to change your view of death. And that's good news because as far as I know, uh, we're all going to be facing death, that it is one of the great realities of life. And so our first scripture reading is from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. The hand of the Lord was on me and brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them and there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds and breath and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And the second reading is from the New Testament as we've been reading from John chapter 11, and today it's John 11, verses 38 through 45. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that 
If you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Today is the third and final part of the incredible story of a man named Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. And the story is found in John chapter 11. And it's, it's pretty obvious if you've been sitting in church for a long time, if, if you've been a long-time Christian, but for those who are new to the faith, it serves us well to remind them and us that the book of John was written by a man named... John was one of the original 12 disciples. He was one of the original 12 apostles. He was a, a man who gave his life to spread the message of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Christ is risen from the dead, and that Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. And, you know, they, they tried to shut John up, and they, they actually put him in a pot of boiling oil to see if that would work, if that would quiet him. But John survived the boiling and John continued to preach this message of Christ's death and resurrection and life, eternal life, through faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason that John believed this message, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is fully human, fully God, that Christ came to die for the sins of the world, and that Christ defeats death through his resurrection and that through faith in Christ that those who believe shall not perish but have eternal life. The reason you couldn't quiet John about this message is because John saw the evidence. John walked with Jesus. John talked with Jesus. John prayed with Jesus. John heard the teachings of Jesus and John witnessed the miracles that Jesus performed. John took in the evidence and came to believe that what Jesus said about himself was all true, that Jesus is the bread of life, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And it was based on the evidence that John had taken in with his eyes, heard with his ears, and touched with his hands that John believed. And John wrote his gospel, the book of John, so that you and I, that your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews would arrive 
at the same conclusion that John himself arrived at. And that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ. That you would believe. In John chapter 20, John says that he wrote his gospel. Not everything, but some things. So that you would believe and find life with God now and forever through faith in Jesus Christ. And to show us, to prove to us, to, to show you the evidence, John wrote his book and he organizes the first 11 chapters of the Gospel of John around seven miracles. And he doesn't just call these seven miracles miracles. They are referred to as signs. They weren't supernatural miracles so that for the sake of miracles, they were meant to show you, prove to you that there was something greater, something uh, bigger and more significant happening. The signs are meant to substantiate what Jesus said about himself. Jesus validates his claims about himself and shows us what he came to do through these seven signs. And so the story of Lazarus is the longest and most elaborately described of the seven signs, and it is the climactic sign. It is arguably the most important of the signs because it points to the power of Christ to resurrect the dead, and we're all going to die. And it's absurd to assert that when you're, I'm gonna, can I, can I share something kind of funny? Yeah, you, you all aren't excited. Great, I'm gonna humor myself, thanks be to God. You know what I did, did, did anyone here pray this week? Did you spend time praying? Anyone spend time worshiping the Lord this week? Okay. So, so as the weather gets nice, I, I made the Garth my prayer room, right? There's no need, why am I praying inside when it's been 60, 70 degrees? I'm, I'm outside, I'm praying, for, praying to the Lord. So I was out there praying this week. People know not to disturb me when, when I'm praying because they, they may hear or witness some crazy things. So, so that my, my, the staff knows better than to go out into the garth. So this is what I did this week. I'm praying. I'm, I'm praying about the message and about resurrection. And instead of standing on my feet to pray, you know what I did? I got down on the ground. I, yeah, I laid on the ground. And, you know, I laid on the earth. And I was kind of just thinking, you know, I always want to enter the story. And I was thinking, what, what was it like for Lazarus to be dead? To be laid out, laid in the ground. And I, I couldn't get in the ground. I didn't want to get in the ground. But I figured I would lay on top of the ground. And you know what I really, you know, when, when you, if you go on the beach, go lay on the beach today. Lay on the beach. And, and, or lay on the ground. You know what I realized as I was laying on the ground, your crazy pastor? I came to the conclusion that when I'm dead, I am completely powerless to get myself up off the ground. Do you know why I'm powerless to do anything for myself when I'm dead? Because I'm dead. 
That would be the reason. So the assertion that because because you did something good during your life that somehow you'll be filled with the power to resurrect yourself from the dead is absurd because you can't do anything for yourself when you're dead because you're so Jesus comes to the village of Bethany to meet with Mary and Martha and the family who are grieving the loss of their brother, their beloved Lazarus. And he understands, Jesus Christ understands human powerlessness and helplessness when we encounter the reality of death, right? As humans, we try to find loopholes. We, we hope that we can pull ourselves out of death, but Jesus Christ himself was under no delusion. And so Christ says to Martha, in her grief, in her feeling of helplessness and powerlessness, in the face of death, he says to Martha in verse 25 of this story, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And, and we understand that in making that claim, I am resurrection and life, that he is claiming to be the source of life and the source of resurrection. And that means he is claiming to not only be man, but to be fully God. Because God is source of life and resurrection. And then Jesus makes, follows that, that claim with this claim. He says, the one who believes in me, here's something that's guaranteed, even though you will die, even though you will be laid to rest, even though you will be laid in the ground dead, even though the lights will go out, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. He is making the claim to be God. He is saying, I am the divine one. And then Mary comes out, Lazarus' other sister, and, and Mary comes out because he called to Mary, and Mary is weeping. She falls at his feet, and she's weeping. And Jesus, the one who claims to be God, shows himself to be fully man because Jesus, and I believe it's verse 35, Jesus wept. He enters into the grief. He enters into the pain, into the loss, into the hurt that Jesus is the one who grieves with us. Now, Jesus is different than everyone else because he's fully man and fully God. And what everyone else does when we arrive at a wake or a funeral is we grieve and then we go home. We grieve publicly, we go home. We go home and we grieve privately. And Jesus is like you and I, but he's not like you and I. He's not like anyone else. 
He is the resurrection and the life, and he is about to prove it, right? It's like, prove it. You're going to make this claim, Lord? Prove it. You're going to make this claim? I want evidence. And so Jesus is going to provide them and provide us with the evidence. He's going to back the claim with a sign. But before that, we see another side of Jesus Christ, right? We see Christ here, and, and he's weeping. He's the, the one who empathizes, sympathizes with us in our weakness. We often refer to, to Christ as friend of sinners. We, 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 we see the gentleness and the tenderness of Christ Jesus as he weeps with Mary. We refer to Christ, rightly so, as the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And when you think of a lamb, you think of a tender, young, gentle animal without spot or blemish. And so it's easy for us to emphasize the mercy and the tenderness and the gentleness of Jesus Christ. However... In verse 38 of our scripture passage, Christ confronts us with another side of himself. Verse 38, Jesus was once more deeply moved. And when you put together the Greek words for deeply moved, you know what it means? Angry. Angry. It literally means to roar like an animal. To roar like an animal. William Barclay, a a theologian, compares it to the snorting of a horse as an excitement of battle. And so here we see Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, and then we see Jesus Christ, Lion of God of Judah. Jesus Christ, King. Jesus Christ, Champion. Jesus Christ, Warrior. And he is burning with fiery wrath. He is burning with anger. And what is he, why is he so angry? What is he burning with anger against? What is Christ himself raging against? Have you ever been angry in the face of of death? Have you ever experienced anger when someone you love dies? Have you ever been angry with the person for dying? Perhaps you've uttered these words, if you only took care of yourself, then we wouldn't be in this situation. Perhaps you blamed yourself for the death of a loved one. If I only urged them to do this or got them help sooner, then we wouldn't be in this situation. Perhaps you've been angry with God, right? God had the power to prevent this death, and so you're angry with God because God could have, would have, should have saved your loved one from death. But Jesus is not angry at Lazarus. Jesus is not raging against Lazarus's family. Jesus, the one who claimed to be God, isn't even angry with himself. Jesus is angry at our 
enemy. Jesus is angry at our enemy. Jesus is angry at the enemy of humankind. And he is angry at the enemy of humankind, which humankind has created. Jesus is angry at the enemy. Jesus is angry at the enemy we created. The enemy who Jesus is angry with is death. And the way in which we have created death is through our sin. The wages of sin are death. Through sin, everything falls apart. Jesus is raging against the sin, the evil, the suffering, the disease, all those things that were not originally part of God's design, but are now here because of you and I. And Jesus is the Lion of Judah on the prowl, looking to put to death your enemy. He is on the prowl, raging against death. You know, if you're not okay with death, if you're disturbed by death, Perhaps you have something in common with the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we're powerless in the face of death, Jesus Christ has all power against death, and he's about to prove it. He goes to the tomb. He goes to the tomb where his loved one lay. He goes to the tomb of Lazarus, and there is a big stone guarding protecting, lying across the tomb. And Jesus commands them, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there is a bad odor. By this time, death is in the air. Believe me, Jesus, you don't really want to open the tomb. You thought it smelled bad when you opened your fridge after going on vacation for a month. It's nothing compared to the smell of death. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the tomb. And you can imagine, when they took away the tomb, they were met by the putrid smell of death. They had to step back because of this smell of death. And in the midst of death in the air, Jesus prays. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Father, I, I thank you for the miracle before the miracle. Father, I'm thanking you for the resurrection, even though we're still waiting for the resurrection. It's a confident prayer from the Lion of Judah. He's thanking the Lord for the victory over death before they see the victory over death. And he prays that those standing back, those covering their nose, and those of us who are watching online or sitting here today will see the sign and come to faith that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is resurrection and life. And so Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. The impossible 
was possible for Jesus Christ. And I think that Christ is very calculated in, in how he is demonstrating this sign for the people who are there. Because they had never seen, most of them at any rate, had never seen a dead man walking. And so they could have attributed this to perhaps the appearance of a ghost, right? Well, we thought we saw Lazarus, but it couldn't have really been Lazarus. And so Jesus says to the crowd, unwrap the strips of linen. Take off the grave clothes. Let him go. And so not only did they see the miracle, but they touched this man, the miracle, the sign, with their very hands. And so there was no room for doubt. Jesus had raised the dead. And they unwrapped him and they freed him. You know he calls to you today? You know he calls to you today? You say, I, I believe. You may believe, but you also find yourself in darkness today. You find yourself in, in evil and in sin and in suffering and in sickness and in anxiety and worry. And, and you're, you feel like Lazarus. You're, you're laying in the darkness and you feel helpless and powerless to get yourself out. And I have good news for you. You can't get yourself out of the darkness, out of the cave. You can't untie yourself, but there is one who can. And his name is Jesus Christ. Would you just let him call you by name today? Could, could you just allow in the sanctification, the sanctified imagination, allow yourself to believe that he says your name and he says come out? And when he says those words, that there's power in those words to free you from fear, to free you from anxiety, to free you from addiction, to free you from pain. Those words that he utters to Lazarus are ancient words, but they are present words. The will that he displayed to resurrect those who are dead is the same will today. Ephesians, the, the letter of Ephesians, Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sin, and that Christ still makes us alive today. And so he calls to you today. He says he's the resurrection and the life, and his word has power. And there's an invitation today to walk out of the sin and walk out of the shame and walk out of the evil and walk out of the pain. And guess what? Your church family, we're the ones who are called to unwrap those grave clothes, to be there for you, to walk this walk with you, and, and, and to be used by Christ to, to move you from darkness to light, from captivity to freedom. His power is for us today. And the last, the final and last thing I'll say about this story is that Lazarus was resurrected. He was laid he was, he, was, he was laid out. He was dead. And he's alive. This isn't a story that was made up. This really happened to Lazarus. Do you know what also really happened to this man named Lazarus? He was resurrected from the dead, but it was only temporary. You know that Lazarus isn't here. He died. The, you know, I pray for people all the time. You know what? I, I, I continuously pray for people, especially our church family. And you know what I always pray? Extend their years. I, when I pray for you, many of you who are, you know, in the, in the twilight years, I, I pray. I, I continuously pray. Maybe it's selfish. I love you. But I say, Lord, extend their years. 
And then, you know what, I also pray you're going to love me for this. Make them good years, God. Make them good ones, too. Of course I pray that prayer for you. But I also recognize and understand that none of us are going to outrun death, that you will die. I will die. That we will face death. And Christ speaking to Lazarus and saying, Lazarus, come out. That was temporary. That was a temporary one-time resurrection. What Lazarus really needed was a resurrection that would bring him to God for all of eternity. And the only way to achieve that on behalf of the world, for God so loved the world, was for Jesus Christ to take upon the sins of the world, to bear our sin in his body, and put our sin to death once and for all. And that was the work of Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, on our behalf, helpless, powerless sinners to save us from death and to give us resurrection from the dead and life with God now and forever. That was the work that he did upon for on our behalf. And all we have to do is receive it by trusting, by putting our faith in the one who said and proved that he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus declares war against the enemy of humanity. And Jesus Christ wins victory over death by putting death to death through his own death and his own resurrection. When you think about Jesus, think about resurrection and life. And know what you think about Jesus is the most important thought you'll ever have. What you believe about Jesus is the most consequential belief you'll ever have. And the one who places their trust in Jesus will live, even though they die. And whoever believes in Jesus will never die. And all of eternity rests on what you think and believe about Jesus. So today, make the story of Lazarus your own story by placing your trust in Christ, by hearing his voice, by walking out of the darkness, taking off the grave clothes, and sharing in his resurrection, in the life he died to give you now and forever. Thanks be to God. Amen.